I'm starting a new series tonight. Last, this last year in 2021, uh, I wanted to have a theme with you about hope. After 2020, we needed some hope in 2021. As we move into 2022, uh, you get a little bit of a head start of some of the things that we'll be revealing coming into uh, next year. But this uh, series starting tonight will be carrying some of the overall themes of what we want to do for 2022 in talking about growing and strengthening faith. If this year was about hope, next year then strengthening faith, getting stronger as we try now to move forward uh, with all of our challenges that we faced over this uh, these past, past uh, year and a half to closing in on two years now. Uh, this series is called Faith in Uncertain Times. It's coming from Second Timothy. Now, uh, sometimes when you start talking about First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, I think they get an unfortunate um, label put on them that, well, those are only for preachers and shepherds and don't have anything to do with anybody else in the church. And I think that's uh, really completely false in, in a lot of ways. This is uh, a really important section and a really important letter. Second uh, Timothy, if you, you put yourselves in the, the context of what's happening, these are what we believe the Apostle Paul's last recorded words. Uh, the last things that he's going to say, he's going to be, he's in a prison. We don't believe he gets out of this prison this time as he pins this letter. He writes this letter to Timothy, someone he has uh, mentored in the faith. And as you go through 2 Timothy, it becomes clear that Timothy is having a hard time and he is going through challenges and difficulties. And so if you imagine the Apostle Paul, who is in the midst of his own trials, who is in a prison and is not going to leave that prison, writing his final words to someone who is also going through difficulties and challenges, and he's going to write to him about faith and how that faith can be strengthened in hard times. And just to give you an overview of the book very quickly, just to give you a sense of, of the hope that is found in terms of the faith that is being described here, chapter one is all about how to endure as a servant of God. Tonight's lesson is going to be combined, Lord willing, with next week's lesson with the title, How Not to Be Ashamed. How do we endure as God's people, as his servants? Chapter two then starts giving these amazing pictures about what a servant of God looks like with different images of a farmer and a soldier. And he just goes on and on and on describing uh, what the, the worker, the servant of God ultimately looks like. In chapter three, he describes now, here's going to be all the hardships you're going to face. Here's why it's going to be difficult to be a servant of God. The challenges that you will encounter as you try to follow him. And then finally, chapter four is the proclamation that the servant of God makes. The things then that we must say uh, as, as God's people. This gives you kind of an overview of what's about. And all of it centers around here is the faith of the servant of God. And Paul writes it as his final words to Timothy, who needs some encouragement of his faith to function as God's servant in that way. And so that gives you a, an idea of not only what we'll talk about on Sunday nights, but also is going to be a lot of what we're going to talk about next year with our themes. And a lot of the studies that we're going to do are going to be zeroing in strongly on 
how to build faith and how we can grow in our faith toward God. Let's look at the first eight verses of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace and peace, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, how I long to see you so that I, w- I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and sound judgment. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. That'll be our text then. Tonight, And it is interesting to consider how Paul goes about encouraging Timothy about strengthening him in the faith. Some of the things that uh, immediately come off the page as he starts writing this is, is he says to him, like in, in verse one, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. If I had a 20 minute side point I could talk about. It is always interesting to observe how these letters open and what Paul often will do in this introduction of himself. Paul, an apostle, and we kind of, you know, start almost going into mental neutral when you start reading all those things. Paul and to whom and grace and peace and all right, let's get on with it. But notice that it sets a tone of what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about, who says, not only am I an apostle, which obviously Timothy knew, but I'm an apostle for the promise of life. This is all about the promise of life ahead and why I do what I do in Timothy, why you're doing what you are doing is for the promise of life that's found in Christ Jesus. He calls him his dear son in verse two. There's clearly a very close relationship that Paul and Timothy have. You can observe that in other letters and you can see that that there is that close-knit bond that they have. And then you'll notice in really verses three through four, just imagine hearing the apostle Paul say to you, and I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. When I'm praying, you're in those prayers. And here he is in a jail cell and he's going through his own difficulties and he's facing death even on his own. And yet he says, every time I'm praying, I'm remembering you constantly night and day in the things that I'm praying for you. And then notice what he says. And I think is such an amazing thing in verse five, because he says it twice. He says in verse five, I am recalling your sincere faith. I know you have something. You have a sincere faith. In fact, notice how he ends that sentence after talking about Eunice and Lois and says, and now I am convinced is in you also. So he's trying to encourage him in the very beginning by saying, I know you have the proper faith. I know your faith is genuine. 
I know it's real. And so as I'm praying for you, I want to remind you, Timothy, of this faith that you possess. And not only is it a deep and sincere faith that I know that you have, it is a legacy of faith. Your mother had the same sincere faith and your grandmother also had that same sincere faith as well. I think that's an amazing picture that's given. You think about what a blessing it is to be able to have a sincere faith modeled in your life by parents and grandparents. That is what Paul is pointing out to Timothy. Timothy, you have a sound, true, sincere faith. And it's one that has been observed in the generations. Something your mom had and something your grandmother had. And now you are exhibiting it as well. And there is something so powerful and I hope such a great gift that we would consider to be able to see a sincere faith in those who were before us. And I would say, if you're reading that and going, well, I wasn't so lucky. I didn't have something like that. What is a greater gift that you could give to future generations, but to exhibit a sincere faith that can be then transmitted to your children and to their children and to their children? It's one of the best things you can do. And here is Timothy, a recipient of that. And Paul is praising it and saying, you have this sincere faith. And so Paul is encouraging him to uphold the legacy. It's something that was in your grandmother. It is something that was in your mother. And it is something that I am convinced is in you as well. What a way to encourage Timothy, who is clearly going through a hard, hard time right now. Because you'll notice he says there in verse For after saying that I'm remembering you in my prayers night and day, he says, I'm remembering your tears. And it's interesting that a lot of people come along and go, well, he was probably upset when they departed from from each other. And I just have a hard time thinking that it was something that low level to say, yes, you know, Timothy was really upset when Paul and Timothy separated on their journeys or whatever. That I think there was something far more serious going on, something difficult in the life of Timothy To which Paul is saying, I remember your tears and I am encouraging that sincere faith that's in you. That you can uphold that and you can stand on that faith. Because notice where he goes with it in verse 6. In verse 6 he tells them, now I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now. He doesn't tell us what gift he's talking about or what exactly that all looked like. And so it's not worth trying to figure out because we're not told it. The thing that he wants us to consider and the thing that is so important is he tells them that you need to rekindle that gift. You have been given something and you need to be using that gift. You have a sincere faith, Timothy, and I want you to use the gift. Don't bury it. But fan the flame is what some of the translations read. Catch fire to that gift that you have. Don't let that die out, but use the gifts that God has given to you. And I think that is a a powerful picture because God is always calling for his people to do that. You don't have to run very far in your mind to think about how often God says, I don't want your mediocre, lukewarm faith. 
I'm not interested in you just kind of be middling along. Uh, I want zeal. I, I want a fire that is within you. You remember as, as Jesus would speak to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, you have a lukewarm faith and I just as soon vomit you out of my mouth because that's not going to work for me. That's not what God wants and why the Apostle Paul writes about being zealous for good works and, and, and having that zeal for God. Same picture is being given here is don't let your flame go out. You have a gift. Use the gift that's been given to you by God. Now, here's the thing that's, I think, interesting as we've read about this. Notice what's attached to that. In verse six, he says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you. And now look at verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. It is interesting that fear is probably one of the strongest motivators that keeps us from using our abilities and our gifts for God. Fear is the very problem. And it appears to be part of the issue that Paul is identifying with Timothy. You have a sincere faith. You have been given a gift and clearly speaking of a miraculous gift given to him. And yet still, though it be that, he's saying you're allowing it to slip to the side. Don't bury your gift. Rekindle your gift. Why? Because we have not been given a spirit of fear. Fear is not to be the motivation by which we operate. But rather you'll notice in verse 7. He tells them that we have been given a spirit of power and of love and self-control. Some translations discipline. Some translations sound judgment. The point being you have what you need from God. God has given you what you need to operate before him. Use the gift that has been given to you. You have a sincere faith. And yet so often, fear can be the reason why we allow the flame to die down. I think that's a fair thing to consider when you think about you have everything you need from God. That if you think about when you first decided to follow Jesus... And you made that commitment. You came up out of the waters of baptism. And I would submit that every person comes out of the water on fire for God. What am I going to do now? I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the world upside down. I'm going to tell everybody we're all excited about it. And I would ask, so what changes over time that we don't feel that way anymore? And I would submit to you often fear. Fear is often the reason why that fire dies down and we don't use the gifts that we have. We don't use the abilities that we have and the talents that we have in a way to serve God in that way. And I think sometimes what we do is we say, well, uh, I don't serve and I allow my faith to wane because I don't have what I need. I don't have what it takes. I'm insufficient. And I think here's the important truth to that. If we're going to rely upon simply ourselves, then yes, we are insufficient. But the picture that is being given to us here is 
You have from God power, love, self-control. You have what you need to do this. That our courage doesn't come from within us. But ultimately from the grace of God. And, And Paul is speaking that way. That's what motivated him. How he can say the love of Christ compels him and constrains him and controls him to do these very things. When Andy and Eric were here, Andy mentioned how Eric in his mind, how he gets over fear is thinking about a soul standing before God on the day of judgment. The mercy of God and the grace of God is what compels us, not looking within ourselves and going, well, do I have the capability? You have all that you need. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You have the faith and you have the abilities. God has given you what you need for the task. And he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and discipline. In fact, remember while the apostle Paul would say this to the Romans, if God is for us, who's against us? If we're doing what God wants, and if we're walking on God's side, then what do we have to fear? Absolutely nothing. We have nothing to fear before God. You have God, you have your faith, and you have the gifts that God has given you. Do not be afraid. I always think about Moses because I feel like what his excuses always seem so valid to me when God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to, you know, going to be my great leader and you're going to go down into Egypt and you're going to stand before Pharaoh and you're going to work these things and you're going to say all these things. And Moses is like, you have the wrong guy. <laughs> you, you, you're looking around. You must be talking to somebody behind me. It can't be me. And remember, God's big answer after the back and forth, after saying, okay, I'm going to let you have you do miracles and all that. But finally, you know, well, I can't speak. And God goes, who gave you your tongue? (laughs) And who gave us ours? That we stand back and we go, oh, well, I can't. You have faith and you have abilities. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. You have what God has given you and to use the things that God has given you. Fan those things and fan that flame and fan that faith and, and, and fan then the gifts that God has given to you. I think it's important that we would think about that in two perspectives. Perspective one is just here, West Palm Beach and the church that's here. What are you able to do with your abilities, talents, and gifts in a way to serve God as you think on a small level right here just in our community as the people of God? What are you able to do to be able to go past the spirit of fear but of love, power, and self-control to do the things of God with your faith and your tongue and your abilities? And then to think more globally, thinking kingdom of God. What am I able to do in terms of my faith and in terms of my abilities to be able to make an impact in the kingdom of God? We should always have those two views in mind. What am I doing right here amongst us? And what am I doing in terms of the global community of God and the work that needs to be done in the kingdom of God? We must always have those points of view. And I think that's so important that how how Paul speaks to Timothy in that way of what God has given to you is sufficient. And he didn't give you the spirit of fear. And that's where I usually like to rest. Well, I'm afraid. And Paul goes, I didn't, God didn't give you that. 
God didn't give you that. God gave you power. He gave you love. He gave you discipline, self-control. Those are the things that you need. And ultimately, notice how that all funnels into verse 8. Because these are the things that keep us from having the kind of faith that God wants us to have. Verse 8, so do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. You have faith. You have gifts. You, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. You have the grace of God. You have what you need for the task. So do not be ashamed. And notice he says there are two things that we have the tendency to be ashamed about. Number one, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord. I think that is so interesting that he puts his finger on that. Why is it sometimes that we will not take a stand with our faith? And why is it that sometimes we shrink back in fear? And why is it that we don't use our gifts and abilities for the glory of God? And I think we have to ask ourselves, are we ashamed of the message? And are we ashamed of who Christ is and what that means to us? I bet you have probably experienced this at some point in your life. I don't think it's a uncommon thing. But have you ever experienced when someone acted ashamed of knowing you or being with you? You ever had that in your life? You might have to go all the way back to high school or middle school or something like that. Where you would be with somebody and they were supposedly your friend. They were supposedly somebody close to you in certain circumstances. But when that person was with maybe another group of people, they didn't know you. <laughs> they didn't, oh, I don't know that person. I'm not, I'm not around them. There are times when you will come into circumstances and situations where people will just be, oh, I, I don't know about them. And be ashamed of you. And I want us to think about that idea for a minute. That would it ever be possible to imagine that we would be ashamed of our Lord and Savior. That we'd be ashamed of who he is. And ashamed of what he's done. So ashamed that we wouldn't talk to people. People we know. Talk to our friends. Talk to our family. Talk to people we don't know. Because we're ashamed of it. And I think it's an important consideration in our world because we do live in a world that presses that shame button on you. You know, how shameful that you would be a follower of God. And we need to be willing to go, I'm not ashamed of that. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ashamed of those things. In fact, if you think about it, do we have any right to be ashamed of Christ and what he's done? In terms of this relationship, who has the right to be ashamed? He has the right to be ashamed of us. <laughs> Think about what we've done to him. He should be blushing and going, yeah, I don't know those people. But remember what the writer of Hebrews says, it's jaw-dropping. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And I, I always am astounded by that line. Because he should be. And he says, I'm not. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you as part of my family. 
I'm not ashamed to say you're in the household of God. I'm not ashamed to say that you belong to me. And we should never then be ashamed of him. And yet, if you think about how many circumstances where that comes up, let me ask it like this. Why did Peter deny the Lord? And I would submit to you because he was placed in a fearful circumstance that made him ashamed. And what's interesting about him is it wasn't too much earlier. He wasn't ashamed. And he had got the sword going and he was ready to go. But placed in a different circumstance outside the courtyard there, fear put in shame. Afraid of the outcome, he's ashamed of claiming who he belongs to. We need to be very aware that fear plays a vital factor in the idea of why we will sometimes be ashamed and not speak and not act as the people of God. And so do not be ashamed of the one who has saved you, even if the outcome of our faith will cause problems. I think that's clearly the implication for Timothy, even though it's going to be difficult for you. Here's Paul writing from prison. Why is he in prison? Because it's been difficult to own the name of Jesus. And yet he's not ashamed. And Timothy, you have a sincere faith and you have the gifts. Don't be ashamed. But you might be surprised at what else he says. You might think he would just leave it at that. So don't be ashamed of Jesus. Great point, Paul. But notice the rest that he says. Or of me his prisoner. I don't want you to be ashamed of Jesus. And I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Why would Timothy be ashamed of Paul? And that be surprising to you. Why would Timothy be ashamed of Paul? Well, Paul's in prison. Paul's being treated like a criminal. The things that Paul has done for the gospel has landed him in that place that probably is not going to get him out, but instead is going to cause him to lose his life. How would we feel about saying that we know somebody who has been put in prison and is treated criminally and is likely about to be executed for his faith and saying, I know that guy, we're friends. Would you be up for that? It all sounds well and good when everything's fine and easy. But Paul is also facing difficulty. And he's going to write quite a bit about this in this letter, about people who have stayed with him and people who've left him. And he's telling Timothy, don't be one of those. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and do not be ashamed of the Apostle Paul himself. I think it is interesting because... Who would ever believe that we would have the tendency to be ashamed of each other and not ashamed of each other in a right way, like a righteous way, like, oh, those are shameful acts. And how dare somebody try to represent Jesus with their sinning behavior? Not that, but the absolute opposite. That in standing for the Lord and doing what is right and living a righteous life and proclaiming a faith that causes difficulty and consequences, we'll be ashamed of each other, is what Paul's talking about. 
that we would be ashamed because someone loves the Lord as much as they do, because they serve God as much as they do, because they worship God as much as they do, because they are strong in the faith as much as they do. Will we turn against one another and be ashamed of each other for that kind of faith, that strong faith, that sincere faith that says, I will be with him at all costs. Would we be ashamed of a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Would we be ashamed of a, of a Daniel who are willing to go to the death for the cause? And would we say, I'm with him? Or would we say, I don't know those people. Those are those fanatical Christians over here. We're just kind of those calm ones over here. It is so interesting that Paul puts this on Timothy and says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of my chains. Don't be ashamed of my imprisonment. Don't be ashamed of my faith. Don't be ashamed of how I stood for the Lord and that we would never be ashamed of each other. In fact, notice what he says is the remedy for that. Look at the rest of verse eight. Instead, join me in the suffering. Share in the suffering. I don't want you to be ashamed of Jesus. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to join in the fight. I want you to join in with me and join in in having that kind of deep, sincere faith. And that's going to cause you to share in the suffering. Stand firm in your faith. Don't shrink back. Fan that flame that is within you and don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of each other. He says, I want you to share in that suffering. That's the image that's being given here. And what a powerful picture that he presents now to, to uh, Timothy. Don't be ashamed, but embrace it. Embrace the cause and embrace the consequences that if there be suffering, so be it. And if there be shame, so be it. If there be people who turn their noses up at us, so be it. That we are willing to not be ashamed of Jesus, nor be willing to be ashamed of the strong faith of other Christians. That's what Paul wants for Timothy as he opens this letter. People are going to shame you. For doing and saying things that are deemed unacceptable in our culture today. They're going to shame you to the point of wanting to ostracize you, malign you, cancel you, all the great terms that we have today now. They're just going to want to marginalize you. Are we okay with that? Are we okay if everybody says... You're a crazy Christian who believes things from way on past. And we don't accept you. Paul's going to write about people who couldn't handle that. Couldn't deal with that consequence. They couldn't deal with the culture and the society and friends who are placing a weight of shame upon them for not being ashamed of the testimony of Jesus not being ashamed to stand for their faith, not being ashamed to serve, to love, and to worship God, no matter the consequences. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given a spirit of power, 
of love and discipline, self-control, sound judgment. God has given each and every one of us what we need to have the sincere faith to stand for him, to not back down, and to not be ashamed. Now the question is, will we? Will we do that? And I cannot imagine a more frightening conversation to think about our Lord on the day of judgment asking, why were you ashamed of me? Why were you ashamed of me? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this letter that just opens our eyes to the very spirit of fear that is easy to allow to grow within us. And Lord, we know that even though we may have a sincere faith and that we truly desire you, that it is easy for fear to control us and to lock us up from being the people that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for any of the times that we have been ashamed, that we have been ashamed of you or your son, that we may have been ashamed of each other or other Christians and their expression of their faith. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith so that we would not be controlled by fear, but rather we'd be controlled by your love and be controlled by your power and your discipline that you have given to us. Lord, help us to fan the flames of our zeal, to use the abilities that you have given us so that we can not only have a sincere faith, but share our sincere faith with others. Help us to not be ashamed, but rather strengthen us and embolden us to say and do what we need to do to reach out to this lost world. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing you now an invitation song. And as I mentioned, part two, Lord willing, next week. Verse eight is a hinge verse, as that not a shame leads into a whole funnel of things he's going to continue to talk about from verse nine to verse 20. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. And I'm going to be a really original title, Not Ashamed, Part 2. <laughs> but that's the idea. Don't be ashamed. Paul wants that within us. And can we help you in any way to strengthen your faith? We want to certainly do that. Turn away from your sins. Come to him with all of your heart tonight. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?